This is Roberta Foster. Welcome to today's edition of the Author's Corner, brought to you by KNEO 91.7 FM, The Word. And today I welcome Scott Klusendorf to Author's Corner, and he has written the book The Case for Life, Equipping Christians to Engage the Culture. And it's published by Crossway, and he'll tell you more about how to find the book at the end of the program. And so, Scott, thank you so much for being with us today. Roberta, I'm honored. Good to chat with you. So the book, The Case for Life, is actually a second edition. So why don't you tell us what uh, prompted you to uh, write a second edition? Great question, Roberta. Well, what drove me was that the reality on the ground for pro-lifers has changed in a post-Roe v. Wade world. Mm -hmm. And we are going to have to become much better at defending what we believe. And we must defend the unborn intellectually with good arguments. And that means all of us, not just the paid professionals. All of us are pro-life apologists now. And especially so now that the issue is being returned to our individual states to decide. That means we as Christians need to know the worldviews that are driving the abortion debate. We need to know who the major thinkers are. We don't have to become an expert on all this stuff. We don't need a Ph.D. to be effective, but we do need to know the ground that we're dealing with. What is the lay of the land? We need to understand what our churches ought to be doing, and we ought to know how we can formulate good pro-life responses and Mm -hmm. answer objections. So that's why I wrote the book. Yeah, when Roe versus Wade was turned was turned over and it came back to the states, the first thought was, "Oh, well, this is going to be wonderful." But in many ways, it made abortion um, much easier and much, I would say, worse. Um, you know, to where you can get it in New York anytime you want, and um, so yeah, Missouri is. Uh, one of the few states where abortion had not been allowed at all um, prior to Roe versus Wade, and now it's doing its best to try to uh, reinstate itself here in the state. And we are trying to fight that legislatively, and but that's not the only place we need to fight. Correct? That's correct. And what what has happened since the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe and Casey? is that every time the abortion issue has been put to the American public for a vote, we have lost. Mm -hmm. We're 0 for 8. And we're 0 for 8 even in states that are very deeply red in nature, Mm -hmm. like Montana, Ohio, Kentucky, to name just a few. And there's a reason for this. The public is convinced, number one, that pro-lifers hate women and want them to die. And then secondly, they're convinced that the pro-life view is mistaken on who counts as one of us. Mm-hmm. The abortion debate really is not a debate about choice, privacy, trusting women, or any of that. It's about who counts as one of us as a member of the human family. And though I wish it weren't so, Roberta, a large majority of our fellow citizens disagree with us that the mm-hmm. unborn count as members of the human family. That's the worldview debate we're having. And the mistake that you quite accurately highlighted a moment ago is a lot of a lot of pro-lifers thought if we could just get Roe v. Wade out of the way and we could somehow overcome a hostile press, we'd be okay. Mm-hmm. No, the pro-life mm-hmm. pro- movement does not have a marketing problem. It doesn't have a court problem right now. It has a worldview problem. The vast majority of Americans don't agree with us. Mm-hmm. We've got to overcome that with good arguments and good presentations of what we believe. 
It really does seem odd that a human being would have a problem giving life to a human being, but that's certainly the case today. Um, So what do you feel are some of the strongest um, points that we need to be more knowledgeable about in order to defend the case for life? Well, let me give your listeners the three most important words in pro-life apologetics. Okay. Syllogism, syllogism, syllogism. Now, they might be thinking, what does that big word mean? Give me some more coffee. I get it. Well, let me define that word. A syllogism is simply two premises followed by a conclusion. For example, Socrates was a man. All men are mortal. Therefore, Socrates was mortal. Okay, premise, premise, conclusion that follows. Pro-lifers have a very clearly defined argument or syllogism that we need to stick to like glue. Because if we don't, Roberta... People change the subject on us and talk about Uh, all kinds of things mm -hmm. that have nothing to do with the debate. So what is the pro-life syllogism? Here it is, and it's not hard to remember. Premise one, it's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Premise two, abortion intentionally kills innocent human beings. Conclusion, therefore abortion is wrong. It's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Abortion does that, therefore it's wrong. Now that argument... Uh, Roberta, may be mistaken. Perhaps I'm wrong. But you can't simply dismiss it by saying, oh, that's just your religious view, for example. No, arguments are either valid or invalid, sound or unsound. Short of showing that the conclusion doesn't follow logically or that one or more of the premises is mistaken, that argument I just gave stands. And to be intellectually honest, you must try to refute it in ways that are legitimate, Mm -hmm. not dismiss it with a label. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I was reading through your book, you were talking about one of the arguments from the abortion side is that religion can't tell us when life begins. And you know what? I hadn't really thought of it from that standpoint, but clarify that more for our listeners. Well, when we argue that the unborn are human, we are not making a religious claim. We're right. not making a philosophic claim. We're yeah. making an empirical claim. We're arguing from the science of embryology that the unborn are distinct, living, and whole human beings. For example, if you look out your backyard window tonight and you see a four-legged creature running across your brick wall, you don't pull out your Bible to figure out what that is. You're going to consult Mm -hmm. biology. What kind of critter is in this area? And you're going to look it up empirically. You don't need theology. Theology tells us how to value living things, but it Mm. doesn't tell us what they are in the first place. And to answer that first question, what is the unborn, we use the science of embryology. So when critics try to dismiss our argument as strictly religious, they're engaging in a category error. They're assuming that the question, when does human life begin, is inherently religious and therefore unresolvable. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Amen. Well, we'll talk more with Scott Klusendorf about his book, The Case for Life, Equipping Christians to Engage the Culture, in just a moment. It's published by Crossway, and you're listening to Author's Corner, and I'm Roberta Foster. Well, one of the things that is new to this edition of your book is a section called Pro-Life Christians Survey the Major Thinkers. So tell us what's in this section and why you chose to add it. Yeah, it's important that that listeners know if they bought the first edition of this book, this second edition is about at least twice as fat, thick and fat as the original one. There's a lot of new material, and one of the new sections is 
who are the major thinkers. And the reason I added this is often what we hear at the street level is trickling down from some of the ivory towers around the world. And it's helpful if we know the source of where this comes from. So in that section, I look at thinkers like Peter Singer, who argues that no newborn should be considered a person until 30 days after birth and that disabled infants can be killed on the spot with the parents' consent. I look at people like Michael Tooley, who tries to draw a distinction between potential persons and actual ones, and I explain why that argument doesn't work. We look at people like Jubilini and Minerva, who argue that afterbirth abortion ought to be permitted. In other words, direct infanticide of newborns for the same reasons they allege as abortion is permissible. And then I look at people like Kate Greasley, who argues that birth is the decisive line in this debate and why her argument fails to persuade. So that's a sample of what's in there. I want the the readers to have an understanding of who these deep thinkers are, but we don't take a dive into their thinking that's so complex that the readers are left confused. I try to survey the contours of their argument and then give a few responses that can be said in response. Mm. Well, one of the things that I can tell from just how you're talking with me today is you have compassion toward the people that you want to help persuade um, their thought processes to a pro-life stance. And you repeat in, in your book and things that we need to lovingly and winsomely be able to engage with those that object to the pro-life position. And so why is it important to do so in a kind manner? Well, two reasons. Number one, it's biblical. Uh, If you look at scriptures like 1 Peter 3.15, we're told to always be ready to give an answer Mm -hmm. for the hope that's in us, but to do it with gentleness and do it persuasively. And then secondly, there is a likability factor. Now, we should never compromise our principles or our arguments in order to be liked, Mm -hmm. but we should try to avoid being unduly offensive. There are some people that are going to take offense and hate us simply for what we believe, and they will never like us unless we capitulate to their view. I can't help those kinds of people by being more likable, Mm -hmm. but there are people who will just right away uh, eschew us if all we do is come off as Mm mean-spirited. So I think there is an important distinction to between between compromising your message and working hard not to be unduly offensive. The mm-hmm. gospel, for example, is offensive in nature. People don't like being told you're wrong mm-hmm. and you need to repent. They find that personally offensive. Well, too bad. That's the reality of the Christian gospel. There's no good news until there's bad news about our sin. In the same way, there are people who don't like the pro-life message. They don't like the fact that we say the unborn are human and what they're doing and killing the unborn is wrong. But I'm not going to compromise my principles so they will like me because they'll never like me. Mm-hmm. I am going to stick to what I believe, but try to be as gracious as I can in doing it. Well, one of the things you also discuss in your book is embryonic research. And I know that's confusing to some people, especially those where they say, well, if we do this embryonic research, we're going to be helping develop health solutions for so many other people. Uh, Give us an explanation of why embryonic research isn't a good idea. Embryonic stem cell research involves intentionally killing human embryos oftentimes in vitro, meaning in the Petri dish or embryos that have been frozen, and extracting their stem cells, the basic building blocks of the body, Mm -hmm. in order to allegedly 
treat disease in other humans. And the, the obvious moral problem is this. It's wrong to intentionally kill one human mm-hmm. to benefit another one. For example, if I said, hey, I've got a bad eye. I want to force Roberta to give her my good eye mm-hmm. to help my bad eye. Mm-hmm. Well, any person with a moral compass would recognize right away that's wrong. So if the unborn are human, and we make a very good case in the book that they are, then intentionally killing them to benefit another human being would be wrong. I mean, imagine if we killed two-year-olds to benefit five-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Well, right away, people go, that's, that's terrible, that's awful, that's a gross moral evil. And the only reason they turn an eye away from embryonic stem cell research is they're assuming the unborn aren't human like toddlers are. Mm-hmm. And that's an assumption we cannot allow to stand. Right. Well, and that just takes us right back to that uh, syllogism that you explained in the first half of our interview, where we have to start with the fact that it is wrong to intentionally kill one person to benefit another person. And such a great uh, basic argument to keep in mind as we talk with other people about the importance of uh, defending life regardless of how old that life might be. Yep, that's right. You know, we do differ from our embryonic selves. Nobody disputes that. But the the critic is asking the wrong question. The question is not, do we differ from the embryos we once were? We most certainly do. But do we differ in ways that justify killing us at that earlier state of development? And as I argue in the book, differences of size, level of development, environment, where we're located in degree of dependency are not good reasons for saying we could be killed then, but not now. I'm talking today with Scott Klusendorf. He has written the book, The Case for Life, Equipping Christians to Engage the Culture. And Scott is a speaker and has traveled to a variety of different places. And so, Scott, tell our listeners how they can find out more about your book and um, perhaps uh, connect with you for speaking to their uh, event. Yeah, in order to connect with me, they can go to ProLifeTraining.com. That's all one word, no dashes, ProLifeTraining.com. And they, that's our website. And they can order the book there, or they can get it at Amazon or anywhere else books are sold. Fantastic. So one more time, the book is The Case for Life, Equipping Christians to Engage the Culture, written by Scott Klusendorf. And we do thank Crossway for providing a copy of this book for us to talk about. Scott, it's been a true pleasure chatting with you about your book today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Roberta. Great to be with you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And as a reminder, you can now hear this interview again on your favorite podcast platform or through KNEO.org. This is Roberta Foster on the Author's Corner. Join me again next time. The world is in chaos. You're here for a purpose. What does the Bible have to say about it all? I'm Mark Taylor, host of Crosspoint podcast and radio show, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week as I navigate the complexities of faith, culture, and personal growth. Each week, I interview a different guest who is making an impact on the culture of For God's Kingdom. Whether you're seeking spiritual guidance, true information, or a fresh perspective, this podcast equips you to discern truth in today's chaotic world. When Christianity intersects with everyday life, that's where you'll find Crosspoint, sometimes discussing the issues that some churches don't want to talk about. Look up Crosspoint with Mark Taylor wherever you get your podcast produced by KNO Radio and the Sky High Podcast Network.